You are listening to the Hybrid Hospitality Podcast. If you're interested in the trends that are transforming hospitality and want to explore what the future of the industry might look like, then you're in the right place. This podcast is brought to you by Stay the Night, a creative marketing agency working with hospitality businesses around the world who are changing the way people stay, work and play. Hi, I'm Rosie Willen, co-founder of Stay the Night. And in this episode, I'll be catching up with Yanni and Leah, co-founders of Poa House. Poa Houses are co-spaces designed to cater to those leading flexible lifestyles. With cozy furnished flats, professional co-working offices and shared social spaces, Poa members can live, work and socialise all under one roof. Their first site in the German city of Munster is set to open its doors in April. In this episode, we find out why co-living is such an attractive asset class how the hospitality and co-living sectors are increasingly merging, and why private companies might just be the future of community building. Hi guys, welcome to the Hybrid Hospitality Podcast. Hi Rosie. (laughs) How are you? Good time. Thanks for taking the time to speak with me today. So first of all, can you tell me more about the inspiration behind Poa House? Yeah, uh, so I'll, I'll kick off here. Uh, so uh, the name uh, Poa House was actually inspired by a Kid Cudi song. Uh, it originates from the pursuit of happiness. And that was really our belief that a home should allow people to pursue their happiness. It's five family members that have come together really to take live into the next level. And we all had our own experiences and journeys that led us here. Uh, mine was I kind of stumbled into um, co-living. Uh, I left a career in surveying. I wanted to start up a real estate development and it left me and my partner, Anka, who's one of our other co-founders, in a difficult situation because we couldn't afford the apartment that we lived in. And we decided to make that into a shared apartment. And that really changed our lives because what we got was this not just this cost-efficient solution to how we wanted to live, but we we met people that are friends today uh, and it changed the way we really experienced the home and improved it in so many ways. And then we decided to make more shared apartments and we took that to uh, the rest of the family members and they were all experienced different aspects of what is power house today. And that's what formed us together. And I'm sure Leah will tell you her story. Yeah, so it is is quite funny actually because sometime around the same time, and I could probably not go back and say exactly what happened in what order, and that that's what makes it kind of funny. But sometime around that around that time, I first learned about the concept of co living. Uh, I was living in Berlin, um, and I just got out of a relationship, and I thought, okay, this is the perfect time for me to experience this. And I, I'd only heard of the concept; I'd never seen it in real life, uh, but I was super fascinated by it. Um, and I was like, okay, let's, let's try this out. And then hearing that Yanni and my sister Anke were kind of, you know, exploring ideas of building a brand. Um, and then, you know, it just got me thinking about it myself as well. And kind of seeing, um, you know, being in the space, seeing the needs, um, on myself and seeing what I really wanted and what I missed in the space and what I'd kind of hope for, what I would like. And then kind of our final founder, my brother, Jochen, um, you know, he was talking about as well. And he was the one who had first introduced coding to me. And I remember we had like kind of a long evening where we kind of sat together on the PC and just like, we're just brainstorming. It's like, okay, like, so co-living, like, what must this be like? What are like the perks and what are, what is really going to make this unique? And 
And later on, we we all merged our ideas into one. And that was Poet House. So that's really nice that it's a family thing. And then it's come from this organic, like your own experiences with co-living. Because I think that definitely helps when you speak to operators who've kind of lived it. Um, then they know what, like, as you say, what to offer residents. And so if you had to sum up Poa House's mission in, in just one sentence, for example, um, what would that be? Yes, I would say we are creating the most optimal way to live and work in one building. And we're doing that in a way that is aligned with the planet. That's great. That was one sentence, sort of, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> great. And that kind of encompasses some of the things we're going to touch on in the podcast. And so you're set to open the doors of your first power house in 2022. Can you talk me through those initial launches that you have lined up? We are very excited to launch our biggest POA house yet and also our first house on April 1st next year. It will be a um, just over 300 unit building in the city of Münster. Uh, and we're going to launch the first 90 flats of it in April and very much looking forward to that. And then shortly after, so um, a couple of months after in September, we're going to launch our first house in Aachen, which is also the city we're from and the city uh, where one of the cities we're based. Um, so we're very much looking forward to those two openings in 2022. So how have you selected these locations and what are the key factors that you look for? Yeah, there's a number of factors that we look for. Uh, firstly, the demographics of that city. Do they have the right kind of young, vibrant uh, population? Is that a community that is full of entrepreneurs and creatives? Uh, then we look at the uh, specific location and say, is it centrally located in that city? Is it a place where people want to be? Is it a place where we can really place make in, in a sense and drive community to? Um, and th that's really our focus. Um, it's quite funny because we only, well, I only used to really consider A cities was a place for co-living. And our experience has showed us that it can really work in B cities. And that's because in B cities that, you know, there's a, lots of vibrant young entrepreneurial communities that really want a place to connect. And those cities sometimes don't provide that for them. So there's even more demand in these B locations, which surprised me a lot when we first started, considering there are some areas of London I thought co-living may not work. Yeah, that's that's definitely interesting. And I think, is it something that, do you see powerhouses always being city-based or can you see eventually expanding into more remote locations as we've seen a bit of a trend with that, with people also wanting to, but more with the digital nomads, short-term stays of going three months somewhere with beach and it's quite appealing. Yeah, that, I mean, it's definitely appealing for everyone that works with us and works <laughs> for us. <laughs> that beach location would be great. I would love to do that as a long-term view. Yeah. I, I don't think it's in our immediate plan. Uh, there's so much to do just on, on what we're focusing on. Mm. It will distract us too much. Um, but I would love to have a location in somewhere more exotic and where people can really go and disconnect and that be part of the Powerhouse story. Yeah, like a Powerhouse retreat. Well, you heard it here first. I would um, love it. <laughs> <laughs> love that. You mentioned there the demographics then, and typically co-living has appealed to those younger demographics that you mentioned. But given how much the events of the past 18 months have kind of shaken things up, have you been surprised with demand from wider demographics in recent months? I specifically have. Co-living is normally associated to that kind of young demographic of 
millennials, young professionals. But I think as the product evolves, as it, we, and especially with us, we offer a more comfortable, creative uh, solution uh, to co-living. Uh, you see it attracting uh, an older kind of demographic. Um, and that's, I, I put myself within that demographic. And we've even got some interesting responses. I know that Leah has some interesting facts about Munster, uh, where we had uh, even an 80-year-old apply uh, really? for, for one of our, our, our units, which was something that shocked me, but I thought, how amazing. I love that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of cool because when we founded Power House, this was actually one of our main topics our kind of target audience and how we thought it should be older than what a lot of other operators are approaching. And, and we kind of came together and we were like, okay, like, you know, co-living is interesting for not just like the really kind of young people who like have just a super low budget and, and, and don't really care about what the interior looks like. They just want a place to stay, but that actually goes, you know, beyond that people who are looking for a longer term home who, you know, who want that comfort and who want more privacy. And that was, that was kind of, you know, the outset, how we had started because when I lived in co-living, that was very much something I had felt where I fell in love with the community and I, you know, wanted to to stick with it, but also wanted more comfort and more privacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and now looking at Munster and seeing actually that we are getting a lot of requests in from people, not just that are 80 years old, but also that, you know, are like uh, in their 40s or 50s is really unexpected and really cool at the same time. And I think that's yeah. that is kind of showing that we were heading in in the right direction. So that's cool. Yeah, I think that's something that can really add to the community, actually. It's it's nice to be around like-minded people, but I always say it's also good to be around people that challenge you and maybe aren't people you'd come across in your day-to-day life, which I think is really nice. And so we've also seen a huge acceleration in remote working and co-working over the last 18 months as well. And that's obviously part of what you offer. When creating the concept, why did you choose to combine living and working in the same space? Yeah, I think that's a, a really interesting question. It's um, And this is something that happened before the pandemic. So it was something that we were already aware of this existing trend emerging, that that, that unity and marriage between the home and the office was already becoming very, very relevant, um, especially when people are spending more time uh, at, at home working and in the office, like uh, spending your kind of leisure time working as well. Uh, and the office environment has particularly changed to be a very much more comfortable uh, environment. Uh, and for us, co-spaces, uh, as we coin it, allows people somewhere they, they can live, they can work, and they can also stay. And those spaces don't have to be uh, merged into one. Our, our co-working, uh, creative, flexible workspace is very independent of living apartments. So you can have the best of both worlds, where you can have a space where you can be creative and be around people that can really enhance what you want to do uh, and make give you that buzz and energy that you need in the workplace. But at the same time, you don't have to feel that you're you know, sitting in your office all day long as people have felt uh, for, for, for the kind of last two years. Mm-hmm. And that was something that was very important to us at the very beginning. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And as someone who uses a co-working space and had that experience of working from our couches, as we all did <laughs> during the lockdowns, I definitely think there's a benefit to having that that built in with that offer. And so many co-living operators have been hit quite hard over the last 18 months with some big players um, like Quarters and more recently the Collective folding. So it'd be interesting to hear the impact of the pandemic for Power House, given that you are at the pre-opening stage? 
the pandemic really did open up this kind of Pandora's box and teach us so many lessons. On the business side, as you've said, we've seen a lot of these operators suffer. Uh, and what we noticed was those operators that were heavily relying on student or international short stay markets really, really suffered because they were the most hit by, by the pandemic. And also it's that really that same old story. If you sign up to these onerous master leases, uh, you have to be very cautious. You know, a better way to split that is probably a management agreement where you're sharing the risk benefits of operation. Uh, one thing I would say that co-living is very fortunate that its its risk profile is more towards residential than hospitality, and it's what we touched on before. You know, we offer a home, and it's a long-term apartments where you can stay. And our accommodation is also slightly larger than many of the operators that you mentioned, mm. um, which makes that uh, if you're shut down in a pandemic, you know, you have more space to be by yourself. But what I think, and also what you mentioned before, you know, the, the pandemic really was an eye-opener to see how many people were actually drawn to co-living. Uh, like the rural co-living saw this uplift. We had people going from Berlin to kind of like escape the city to the rural areas. And then they found themselves lonely and disconnected and they wanted that community and they actually sought out co-living. Uh, I think what's more important is that a building or co-living building really focuses on wellness, well-being, and that's more sustainable in the future. And, um, you know, if people were locked down, you know, a lot of them would want to be locked down with a small community rather than in a, in a flat just stuck by yourself. And the COVID does offer that flexibility and affordable price point. So I think that, yes, people did suffer, but there's also many players in the market that were focused on, say, wellness uh, and a more sustainable approach that actually benefited from the pandemic. Yeah, that was definitely the case for some of our clients because their residents were locked down but they were locked down together and so I think they didn't have that that loneliness and isolation and given how many people experienced that have you seen an increase in demand since countries are now beginning to open up and restrictions are easing? It's hard to say at this time uh, but we are noticing of course that with our first two properties like there is a lot of demand and there is a lot of demand from people that we haven't expected and I think that comes directly out of COVID. I mean, to be honest, I was just thinking now as, you know, as you two were talking, I spent my first two months of, of kind of lockdown in, in Zurich actually, and um, with my partner and we didn't have an apartment in, in Zurich. So we were kind of just going from Airbnb to Airbnb. And um, the very first Airbnb was like a ground floor and it didn't actually have any natural light. And, and it's, it's, it's the kind of thing where, you know, you just book an Airbnb, like for the first time, it's like, it's not something you would think about. Cause I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I'm just staying there. I'm like, it's not that important. But then we spent a week in there indoors and we realized how dark it was. And it's these moments. And I think obviously this isn't just happened with us. This happened with everyone in lockdown, you know, where we realized, oh, wow, these things do actually matter. It matters what natural light you get, you know, it, it matters what kind of furniture you have, what the ventilation is. The whole well-being topic just has gained so much awareness. You know, I can tell you how the story ends is that we we actually moved in with um with my partner's cousin. And then we were three people in a much smaller space, but we had the best time because we weren't alone. Mm -hmm. We were just in this little group and it felt so nice to spend the lockdown time in a little community. And I think a lot of people had that reflection, and I think that's what we're noticing now. Yeah. yeah. I think the home definitely has come under this microscope after in the last two years. And I think many people have seen their homes as lacking and need to offer them more than just somewhere that they put their head down. 
I think that's where co-living can really step in and become a big place in the future living market. Yeah, definitely. I think wellness, obviously, it the health implications of the pandemic made so many people so much more aware of their health. And so how do you plan to embed that wellness into the POA experience? We have developed an intricate framework. We call it the POA standard um, of how we achieve what we call sustainable well-being. So it's very much sustainability um, in line with the planet and well-being in line with us as humans across everything we do. May it be the materials we have in our spaces from like consumption products up to our furniture, to what food we offer at events or we sell in our spaces, to the type of events we have, to lighting we have, and kind of across the board have a plan of how to integrate well-being um, yeah, really um, throughout the whole experience of of what the resident will kind of go through. So that could be the materials we use in the in the furniture. We also care, of course, about lighting. Uh, we care about air quality. You know, we're testing like different ways to filter the air in the room, different plants we use in different spaces, bringing nature into spaces. So having like, you know, outdoor spaces, how to include kind of nature and insects also in those spaces to really attach residents to nature again because a lot of people who live in cities don't have that context to nature yeah um, so it's a lot about that and then of course my funnest part or my fun my favorite part is really finding companies and partners that are really into well-being and they're into sustainability and that want to work with us in any sort of way and yeah we've got a couple of collaborations like that in the pipeline that are really cool yeah, I think we're lucky as we're an operator, but we're also uh, a developer of our own sites as well. And so we can look at this from an angle as uh, from actual building the buildings, uh, the operating of the buildings, going down to how people use those buildings. So we can really hit three tiers where other operators you know, may struggle to see how they impact a building at the construction uh, stage where we can really take control of that. And uh, it's exactly what uh, is exactly what Leah said. And we're looking for all our buildings are to be have some kind of a uh, well certification, uh, and we hit high standards that really improve those residents' life and experience. Yeah, that's really great. And so, just to touch on the sustainability part a little bit more. So, on your website, it says that creating spaces that help protect the planet is a huge priority for you. Why was it important for you to embed that commitment into your business plan? And can you give me some examples of your sustainability initiative? Yes, for sure. And it's really uh, it's really one of those main points, if not the main point, that we kind of had discussed when we founded POA House alongside the beginning. Because um, we were looking at the co-living industry as a whole, not just in Germany, but, but in Europe and, and throughout the world, and looking at the operators and kind of seeing, okay, how can we take what there is in the market today and take it to the next level. Cause we were obviously not, not the first player. Uh, so that's, that's not what we're bringing to the table, but we really want to uh, just have an incredible product. Mm -hmm. And part of that was having a really sustainable product. Um, so that was just something that was in line with our mission from the very beginning. And that in a lot of ways that makes it easier for us. Cause that was before we kind of had any contracts signed. So now like if we sign a contract with a furniture, supplier you know we add like an appendix in there that makes sure all the materials from the furniture supplier are sustainable uh, as an example and that just makes it really easy for us to kind of think sustainability from the ground up uh, let me give you a couple of examples so we recently announced a 
a partnership with an, a startup called Everwave from Aachen um, that we really like that um, actively remove plastic or sorry, not just plastic, um, ocean bound waste um, from rivers before it would kind of um, reach the oceans. And what we have done with them is that um, any resident who will live or work with us will remove through us one kilogram of waste from rivers with Everwave. So that's just really cool. And that allows any resident to have an impact on the environment through us. Another example of a topic that we're looking into and uh, we'll announce shortly is the topic of microplastic. So we are partnering with a company that removes microplastic um, that goes into the water through the laundry machines. Because a lot of our a lot of our clothes kind of rub off microplastics, which goes into our waters. And if we add filters, they are collected. So that's something we'll announce shortly. That's some really great examples. Thank uh, you. I was also going to just make sure that everyone knows that you know, it's also purchases in our shop contribute to uh, removal of uh, this waste from from rivers as well. So if you want to make a purchase, go ahead <laughs> on the power shop. And I was just going to, also going to add that. You know, this journey has been really incredible. And I think uh, Jochen and probably Leah really drove it forward initially at the beginning. And that's led us to be in a place where I think that we couldn't even imagine when we first started. Because now we're, 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 we're involved with partnerships such as with Moringa, which are doing one of the first cradle-to-cradle uh, residential buildings in Europe, uh, where we will be the operator of, of our powerhouse there. Uh, and that's really a building where they're trying to design out waste and they're pushing us on many fronts as well. Uh, and so when we look at our, surf, uh, our furniture, how that can be cradle to cradle. And that's somewhere that, as I said, we wouldn't even imagined we were when we started this in like 2019. So it's been a great journey. Yeah, that's amazing. So it's almost like that butterfly effect. And I think it's obviously important to you guys, but it's also I think more and more consumers are expecting that from businesses now and wanting businesses to step up. So it's really great to see to see you doing that. What's really helped us is having a sustainability manager in-house because we have Miriam who has experience in sustainability and that has just been incredibly helpful because she really looks at everything we do and sees how we can implement sustainability into that. And that has really helped um, push a lot of the partnerships forward that we now have. I think that shows making it a priority too and not just something that you kind of add on. And so we can't talk about co-living without talking about community. Obviously, that's a huge driver for why residents seek out co-living in the first place. So how are you planning to facilitate a sense of community between Powerhouse members when you open your doors? Yeah, so we have an on-site community manager that's within that building. We try and design our building so you know, that that mundane kind of check-in, check-out processes be taken care of by technology and allow the community manager to be able to foster that community. Uh, and we believe that is by program scheduled events. And those events are weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, and they're anything from family dinners to, you know, silent discos, uh, and also events that can teach and people enhance their lives. So it could be, you know, events where you, you have uh, talk talkers on mindfulness or uh, startups, how to you know, create your own business. But what we, we found is that you should also let that community have engagement with their own events because that gives you a sense of home. 
and that gives you that and that can you can probably the community itself will come up with better events than you know we might plan uh, i recently heard of uh some residents organizing a residence cookout uh, and with that cookout they basically uh, took all the food and fed the homeless and that was their own initiative yeah. and that's great that a community can come together within your home and have their own independent thoughts of how and what they want to do yeah i really like that because it's almost empowering your members to become almost co-creators of their own experience and i think absolutely it's a really good way to to keep them involved and engaged i'll use that co-creators of their own experience i'll (laughs) use that again (laughs) yeah i really like that Uh, 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 i was gonna gonna add is it very much is also dependent on what type of events you organize um and and we spend a lot of time thinking about that because because you may say oh like you don't know anybody in the building yet tonight we're having drinks and and you can connect but in reality it may not be easy for everyone to to connect to to somebody just because they're in the same space and they're also having a drink if i think of myself i'm still very shy like to approach um other people and so we're really looking into like what type of events really make it easy for people to connect in a meaningful way and kind of then take that connection to the next level and kind of meet again. And um, so that's, that's very important to us. Yeah. yeah so it feels a bit more natural and less networking-y, <laughs> if that's a word. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, it always inspires me to think of something else. Uh, but I, I think that's about our spaces that we create as well. There's no point in us having all these amazing amenity spaces and then not being activated and not being used. And I think that's really important that we have the right events for the right spaces. And that's why we have different kind of spaces where you can have like a dining experience, a yoga experience, or maybe a kind of a more gathering experience within, within our homes. Yeah, that makes sense. And so a big kind of dilemma that's been debated in the industry is once you've created that sense of community at one site, how do you then replicate it and scale it to other sites? It'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on on how you plan to do that? I mean, of course, a growing brand always has challenges that come with it. And like, maybe the first project is where you kind of put all your love in and then the next project, it becomes more about growth. Um, And I think there are some conflicts along or or potential challenges along that side. But I think we, at the moment, very much see every community on its own. So every community will have their own kind of staff and really curate that community. And I also, I wouldn't be surprised if if we notice that different Poet houses in different cities will have different personalities. And I think that makes it cool, right? Because we will really tie in the local city and, and that would really make it a unique experience, even though it's still under the same brand. What is yet to see, and I think that'll be that'll be interesting as we become a little bigger, is to see how the buildings will interact with each other and how we can allow residents to to move easily from one building to another and kind of create a, a bigger community and a, um, a wider connection. Yeah, that makes sense. And so um, you mentioned technology a little bit earlier about the kind of check-in process. And There's an ongoing debate in the wider hospitality industry around technology and how it can enhance, but also sometimes detract from the guest experience. I know you have an app, so can you tell me more about how you intend to use technology as part of the powerhouse experience? So technology obviously has two components, right? We look at like hardware components and software components and obviously how they they come together. Um, With the hardware side of it, we really have two main priorities. Um, the first priority is to make our residents' life easier. So that's why 
simple technology, for example, is we use smart locks because that allows us to have a check-in journey that is, you know, that is easy and seamless and doesn't require our interaction. Uh, but our second goal is really hardware that is um, more sustainable or that allows us to be more sustainable because we can we can save costs on um, heating and and water and therefore kind of save you know um, save that energy. Um, considering that the the building sector is one of the worst industries for the environment, so that's really our motivation there. And we're really kind of focused on those two goals, you know, making our residents' life easier and and making it aligned with our planet. So very much aligned um, with our mission. And we're trying to stay away from other technologies that can just stand in people's ways and can be gimmicky, but not really help them. Hmm. Um, Because there's so many technologies out there these days, and it, it can be really distracting to focus on those as well. And on the software side, we have an amazing POA app that I'm really excited to launch. And it will really be more of a kind of day-to-day helper and guide. Um, It will allow residents to connect to each other. They will be able to see what events are in the house. They'll be able to connect with each other also based on certain preferences. So uh, vegan people could connect, people who are really into books, people who really like watching uh, Champions League. And that will really make meeting offline easier. Um, So the online app is really more a facilitator for the real-life connection and definitely should not should not replace it. And I've heard the term hotelification of real estate used to describe brands whose service is kind of a key pitch to their residents. So what do you think that hotels can learn from co-living and vice versa? I think that hotels can learn from co-living is that aspect of community and how to create community and how to engage a community and how to really have your residents especially like city hotels be in a place but a place where they can come and stay with you and learn so much more about the city they're in by the individuals that live in their building connected together rather than having their own soul experience within that city um, and from um, on the, the, the co-living side I think we can learn massive amount from hotels uh, in there's elements of the design uh, that can be taken and service services uh, that can be taken from hotels that can really enhance the residents' experience. But together, I think that you'll, you you will see a lot more like of the hospitality sector moving into the co-living market, and a lot of co-living operators moving into a more short-stay solution. Uh, I think it's key for us to make sure we get the perfect divide of that, and to ensure that we still make our residents feel that this is their home and not a hotel. And this is a, a home where you can have events and you know, services, but you can still feel connected as a, as a kind of small community and family. Yeah, absolutely. And so from an investment perspective then, because I, Yanni, I know your background is in real estate. Yeah. Can you tell me what the co-living model offers investors that other asset classes like traditional build to rent don't? Yeah, uh, I would say that... <laughs> Not surprisingly, that the best businesses solve real problems. <laughs> and um, the way that we kind of live, work and consume has completely changed. Uh, so we all can understand we're not living the same lives we did like 20 years ago, let alone 200 years ago. But it, in a purpose-built PRS scheme, you know, you're still building that same kind of old school housing solution. Uh, and that is creating 
problems, especially for uh, a, a younger demographic where loneliness and isolation in major cities is a problem in traditional housing stock, that lack of quality accommodation is a problem. Uh, and the, we're creating homes that don't meet our needs or represent a belief of a whole kind of generation. And investors are realizing that too. And the benefit of co-living it is this entry point for young professionals. Uh, and it's purposely designed to meet their specific needs. There's been a lot of research done where co-living has outperformed multifamily. Uh, so you get higher rental inc incomes, um, you get fewer delinquencies, you get better occupancy rates. And it's that benefit that they have on a residential living model. And that's more stable than hospitality. We've got this annuity style of income that, that comes in through with co-living and it becomes uh, this incredibly attractive asset class with massive, massive growth potential. Uh, and if you look at the co-living market, that's why it's grown so much. You look back 10 years ago, especially in the UK and Germany, you know, a lot of people didn't even know what co-living was. Um, and today you fast forward uh, and we've got venture capital, we've got private equity funding, we've got institutional interest from global investors. Um, there's still some reservations, but that's always noticeable in new and emerging sectors. And it's, I think it took student accommodation about 20 years to go from grime, as they say, to prime, uh, and co-living will go on a similar journey. That's a great answer. Thank you. And so finally, then, looking to the future, if we were to fast forward, say, five years down the line, what do you think the most significant changes will be in the co-living landscape, given that things are moving so quickly? I think brands will be a lot stronger. I think, especially because there's so much shift in the industry and there's still new players emerging and existing players growing. Um, you know, it's all, everyone's still really at the beginning of it. Um, and if you look at the co-working industry in comparison, it's it's at a completely different stage. So I think that's what we're going to see. A lot of brands become stronger. And if, if we think about what that means, I think we'll also see more kind of uh, monetization channels open up and these brands kind of have a significance beyond just offering co-living and have, you know, a presence as a lifestyle brand potentially as, you know, as a player in sustainability and really have much more meaning beyond um, the couple of houses that they operate. Yeah, I definitely think that co-living has this great and bright future. I, I think that you, you definitely, as Leah mentioned, you'll see more players go into uh, a, a wider offering. Um, and we've already seen players move into, um, you know, purpose-built accommodation that offer co-living as, as well. And you'll see more generational connections within the co-living experience and that focus on wellness, well-being and sustainability and co-spaces. Uh, you know, as we've mentioned, there's already operators now moving into co-spaces, offering this creative, flexible workspace within that building. And that's happened, you know, fast forwarded in the last two years. And as we said, that was an emerging market trend. But I definitely believe that um, private companies are the future of building communities. Uh, and that's something that actually Leah brought to my attention. It's true. And I think that's what you'll see. You'll see a lot more private companies and co-living players bringing communities together. And that's not just communities within that building, but within the wider community as well. I can't wait to see when you guys open. Is it April, you said, yeah? For the first? Yes. Yeah. yeah. You have to come down and experience our first event. I know we've got some incredible events being uh, planned. So yeah, definitely. You have to come down. 
Thanks so much for taking the time today. Thank you, Rosie. Thanks so much for inviting us. For those listening who want to find out more about Power House, you can visit www.powerhouse.com. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Hybrid Hospitality Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe if you'd like to be the first to hear about new episodes. We'd love it if you could leave a rating. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can do so. Just search Stay the Night on LinkedIn or head to at Stay the Night Co over on Instagram. For more information about what we do, visit www.staythenight.net. Until next time, thanks for listening.